0: It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a 1971 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Shrinee, a six-time NBA champion, a 10-time All-NBA First Teamer, a 13-time NBA All-Star, the Houdini of the hardwood, who led the NBA in assists for eight straight years. And I have to say, Mr. Bob Cousy, not only, not only are you among the great basketball players of all time but you are the man who taught me the joy of broadcasting so Mr. Bob Cousy thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Well I've been extremely fortunate for a lot of reasons uh, in my life uh, Kyle. I, uh, I played a child's game for 13 years for a living. I coached it for 11 years and I explained it to people out there on TV land for 34 years, so the first I I've, I've done seven books or co-authored seven books, and the first one was named very aptly, as it turns out, "Basketball Is My Life," <laughs> and at 88, that has certainly proven to be true.
0: Mr. Cousy, I'm wondering, we're going to talk about your remarkable career and and the, the plans that maybe came to fruition uh, and maybe didn't um, in a bit. But I want to talk about that transition from coaching and from playing to, as you say, explaining a child's game to TV viewers. Was that the... Because the game looked so effortless to Bob Cousy, was the most difficult transition for you the one in which you attempted to explain those things that just came so natural to people for whom they did not come natural at all?
1: Well, are you referring to the coaching experience?
0: Ooh, that that as well. I was was thinking specifically about broadcasting, but we could talk about it from coaching as well.
1: Okay, well, no, you know... uh, 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 as I'm sure you know, Kyle, uh, uh, in in basketball broad, broadcasting, as opposed to uh, uh, certainly baseball, which is endless and where you've got a lot of fill time, basketball is be 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 short, direct, uh, precise. Uh, in other words, keep it simple, stupid, and and uh, you know, uh, less is better than more. So. In that sense, there wasn't much of, uh, of an, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, acclimation to it. I mean, I just kind of, I'll never forget Chris Schenkel. I, I signed for three years with ABC back in 1963. This was now on the national scene, and I, I, we did our first nationally televised game in St. Louis. Chris Schenkel was my anchor. And I had never met him before. I showed up in St. Louis, sat down next to him. He said, I'm Chris Shenko, and I know nothing about basketball. So when I pat you on the leg, you just start talking. And we worked that way for three years. Uh, but I did, as I say, learn very quickly that uh, trying to express myself in the fewest, uh, which isn't easy to do, as you know, Necessarily make your point uh, quick more quickly rather than have the uh, the uh, uh, choice of uh, being expansive and and taking a lot more time. So uh, there was a little uh, 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 getting used to it uh, period. But uh, I don't know. I I never won any awards, so I don't know if they were putting up with me because I was Bob Cousy or not. Because after that those three years, I went on to thirty four years with the Celtics for local uh, broadcasting, and uh, I, I, you know i I don't know whether I had a successful career or not, but uh, we earned a living that way. <laughs>
0: You know, Mr. Cousy, so much of the player and the person you are um, is, is a direct result of the real blue-collar American dream upbringing uh, that your parents gave to you in New York City. Can, can you talk about the way that your parents um, and their status as both French immigrants and um, you know blue-collar members of a real tight-knit neighborhood, how did that help shape the Bob Cousy that we all know now?
1: Yeah. I uh I said a little while ago I was extremely fortunate. You hear a lot of jocks get up and say I'm the luckiest guy. Well, I'll say I think I make them all look like little boys. Uh, you can't imagine the good fortune. Starting at that point where I was literally fabricated in France, I was born six months after the boat uh, and my parents came through Ellis Island in New York and uh, uh, that was in nineteen twenty eight which was the heart of the depression and we we lived for twelve years in this well, I want to say terrible ghetto on East End Avenue and Eightieth Street, which is Yorkville, right on the East River, and we lived in these three decade brown brownstones where the rats and the, and the uh, cockroaches and the bugs were, were were bigger than the clients or so the, the customers in some cases, and uh, and it was a, a complete ghetto experience. But but no one was feeling sorry for themselves because everyone else in that milieu were, were all the same way. We thought everybody lived in ghettos as kids, you know. Uh, so we want we were playing the uh, the uh, street games, stickball, boxball, box ball, stoop ball, whatever, uh, and uh, getting into actually as little trouble as possible. But but there were no, there was no despite it being New York, there were no b ball courts. <laughs> there was a, a park right next door, but uh, for some reason, Gramercy, as a matter of fact, where the uh, uh, mailers uh, and. Uh, Uh, For some reason, they didn't have hoops. So it took my father, the dear man who worked two or three jobs all his life and died penniless uh, after coming to the land where the streets for paves would go, he uh, saved, it took him that long to save $500, get us out to St. Albans, just out on Long Island, where there was not only fresh air, put a deposit on a little Mickey Mouse house, there was not only fresh air, but there was hoops. <laughs> and that was my first introduction at 13. So I was relatively late coming to the game. But once the high school had, had Andrew Jackson had had amazing success and won the city championship twice in the first five years or something. And so every kid in town, the ambition was to make the high school team. So I was thrown into this, called of activity and pretty much gave up all the other sports and focused on basketball. And
0: the last, as I say, is history. It is, and it actually makes your march to Holy Cross and and almost Boston College um, really remarkable, considering it was only five years after you had started playing at age 13. Now, your career at Holy Cross, incredibly well-documented, but you're also part of a tradition which history has sort of forgotten, um, which is summering in the Catskills of New York, working as a busboy and playing with some of the country's best hoopsters in, in what could be called sort of the Borscht Belt Summer League. Can you can you talk about that experience playing in the Catskills in the Summer Leagues?
1: Yeah, the, the combination of the two, I only played for a year and a half in high school. I were 5,000 kids there, and every boy, 3,000 boys all went out for the basketball team. So I got turned down the first couple of years. I only played a year and a half. Uh, I was successful during that year-and-a-half period in all City, and that's how I got to Holy Cross, where 12 of us wandered in in 45 and 46 in the same manner. There was no recruiting. Basketball was all the way down on the totem pole uh, uh, in terms of sports activity at Holy Cross, and a dozen of us wandered in that way. A lot of veterans coming back from the big war, and some snot-nosed kids like myself, and we turn around our first year and win the NCAA. (laughs) And we all looked around and we're we're going down this parade on Main Street and people are throwing confetti at us and we're saying, what the hell did we do? What what did we do? (laughs) We didn't realize the NCAA, granted, was not a big deal in those days, but it was still for a school that had no basketball tradition, it was quite a, a happening. But I think uh the four years uh, of of uh, being a waiter in the Catskills at Tamarack didn't didn't improve my waiting skills I didn't do much of that after college but but it certainly uh, it was a very competitive and aggressive league Uh, players like Ed McCauley George Mikan Dolph Shea so a few pros but a lot of good college players and it was a the proving ground, uh, and uh, we not only earned a pretty good living it for, what, for in those days, at least, uh, uh, in that regard. But, but as I say, uh, it I'm sure in my case had an impact on my preparation uh, for for uh, graduating four years later and coming into the pros and having some degree of success immediately. The combination of the college experience and the Tamarack experience, uh, I'm sure, played a heavy role in that.
0: And following Holy Cross, uh, it was not a straight line to the Celtics. Uh, In fact, two teams had your rights before the Celtics did in 1950, the Tri-Cities Blackhawks and the Chicago Stags. In fact, Celtic fans might be able to thank your plans to open a driving school for you ending up in Celtics Green. Was that process stressful, or was a young Bob Cousy honestly just as happy opening up a driving school in Worcester, Massachusetts?
1: Yeah, I was too busy uh, to allow it to be stressful. I didn't give it a lot of thought. Believe it or not, coming out of college, our goal in life was not to play in the NBA. <laughs> I had never seen a game. The games, of the NBA started, I think, in '46. Uh, this was 1950, and uh, uh, it was simply not a big deal. My co-captain and I at Holy cross back off and decided to go into business together. And we didn't know it at the time, but we, uh, we, we, we would have been into the franchising of auto driving schools because from the time we put up the plaque... Frank and I were teaching ladies to drive around the clock. We had to hire two more drivers. And so we would have extended that, I'm sure. And so the point is, I had just gotten married. I wasn't going to go to someplace called Tri-Cities. And I especially wasn't when the owner of the team, Ben Kerner, I don't know that he knew. I, I made, when the when the newspaper men called me and said, hey, you're the number one pick." Tri-City Blackhawk, and I remember saying, hey, I, I think I was a pretty good student at school, uh, I must have been asleep in geography, what the hell is a Tri-City Blackhawk, or whatever, and that didn't endear me to the good folk of, of Moline, Davenport, and Rock Island when the, the Tri-City bugle across the headlines said, cool, he says, what the hell, is the Tri-City, <laughs> Anyway, uh, the owner, Ben Kerner, lived in Buffalo, so maybe he didn't know where it was either because he called me and said, Coz, I drafted you. Come on, fly up here. We'll talk contract. And I did that, had lunch. And Ben said, what do you need? And I said, Mr. Kerner, I need 10000 Oh, my God, $10,000, Bob. Do you know how much money that is? <laughs> So they're making $36 million a year, but that's beside the point. That was six years before. But in any event, he said, oh, I can't, four or $5,000. And I shook his hand and said, thank you very much because I knew we had a, we had a, uh, a tour, an all-star team that toured New England that year, and all of us made 10000 apiece from that tour, and I could have continued that for 10 years we had built up quite a reputation in New England from our Holy Cross days. So we would have continued to sell, and I had that option. Plus, as I say, uh, we, we, had, we had three cars going by the end of that first summer, so the driving school thing. So yes, I considered uh, not necessarily teaching ladies to drive for the rest of my life, but we would have, as I say, franchised this situation, and then eventually Kern had decided I wasn't going to, so he traded me to Chicago, as you said, and the Stags never even called me, because they went bankrupt shortly after, and the players were distributed. That's how three of us, Max Zlowski, Andy, Phillip, and I uh, ended up in a hat, and Waller Brown, the owner of the Celtics, went down to New York to pick. The players were distributed, except for uh, the three I mentioned. And uh, uh, he went to New York, read Albach, said, come back with Hulowski, uh, uh, Philip, not <laughs> <laughs> Arnold had never seen me play, but uh, he, he preferred both of these players were outstanding players. And uh, Max got drafted first by New York, and they were ecstatic because they wanted this a Jewish superstar in New York. And Max had won the scoring Championship the year before in the NBA. Andy Phillip was an outstanding point guard, I think, from Illinois, who made the Hall of Fame. And he went next to Philadelphia. And the only thing left in the hat was what? And uh, I came back. And the next morning, Mr. Brown called me and said, Bob, welcome to the Celtics. Uh, Come on in. We'll talk. And we came in. His office was full. And we went in the men's room. (laughs) He said, Bob, what's it going to take? And I said, I need $10,000, mister Brown. And he said, "Uh, can we do nine? And I shook hands, and the rest, as they say, is history.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Finally, Mr. Cousy, this has been such a pleasure. What does it mean to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your life?
1: Well... uh, (laughs) At this stage in my life, uh, all I do really is sit on my fat butt. I do educate uh, my, uh, improve my mind. I read a couple of books a week. But besides that, I sit and uh, I, uh, I review my life. And obviously, what you do is you block out all the negatives. <laughs> you, you focus on the positive things that have happened. And uh, the Hall of Fame is part of that, obviously, because it it remains, I think, in 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 the three major sports, the four major sports. I think it still remains the dream of every kid in every schoolyard to, uh, at some point, reach this this acknowledgement. You know, I am a Hall of Famer. It's it's an entree. It's uh and uh, the fact that. Uh, uh, I, I think perhaps I have, I, I think more than anyone on the planet at the moment, I'm not, I think this is factual. I, I think I have perhaps devoted more uh, time going back to the Lee Williams days, the, the, who, uh, who was the first executive director when we were in a small little room at Springfield College. And he knocked on my door and asked me to help. And uh, I, I've served on every committee, <laughs> and it's, it's been a it's been such a fun ride all the way to be so so involved. Not only as, as a Hall of Famer, but as I say, as uh, in helping the institution grow to to the level it's at now, which is uh, I think is. As state-of-the-art and professional as, uh, as any Hall of Fame in the country is. And I've been there every step of the way, including president for two years. So uh, those thoughts are what keep my blood flowing uh, at this point in my life and uh, make me, I guess, proud of the fact that I did get to that schoolyard and and I did play a child's game and uh, and coach it and talk about it
0: all my life. Mr. Bob Cousy, the Houdini of the hardwood, six-time NBA champion with the Boston Celtics, a 1971 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Shrinee. And as I said personally, Mr. Cousy, the man who taught me the joy of broadcasting. Thank you so much for spending this time with me.
1: Pleasure, Kyle.